Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Kate and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I am Kate Chaplin. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today, we are talking about a gal who was promoted by Louis B. Mayer as the most beautiful woman in the world. She acted in a little over 30 films and had her fair share of scandals in the press. Off screen, she was a complex woman who fled her home country, married half a dozen times, and spent her free time inventing things. Her patent with George Ant Hill is the blueprint for the technology that we all use today. In fact, some of you might be using this technology to listen to this very show. It's called frequency hopping, and it's used in cell phones, in Bluetooth, and in Wi-Fi. Today, we are talking about your gal, Hedy Lamar. This is so awesome. I think it's really cool that we're talking about Hedy Lamar. Unfortunately, I've never heard of her before this. Upon doing more research for this podcast, I learned more and she continues to fascinate me because she was more than just a pretty face. She was a brain, too. So, Kate, what did you mostly know Hedy Lamar for? I knew she was a film actress, and I could easily identify her in a photo, uh, but I could not tell you what movie she was in. <laughs> uh, I even looked really closely over IMDb, and I am sad to say that I've probably actually yet to see one of her films in its entirety. I think I've seen most of Samson and Delilah, and I think that's because it was shown on TV. A lot of Cecil B. DeMille's movies were kind of shown on TV, so I think I've seen the most of that one. I think that's the only one. I've even heard of that she was in Samson and Delilah. I was like, oh, I kind of think I heard of that. I one think like before, TNT maybe. showed it like a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That's probably where we got a glimpse of it somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah, but before reaching researching for the show, I mean, I mostly knew her as uh, the patent holder uh, that what of what became Wi-Fi, and the reason for that is you know I come from a film back filmmaking background like you do. Um, but also my dad is an inventor. Uh, he holds seven patents. And so I admire art and innovation and entertainment and practicality. So Phoebe, where was Hetty born? Where did she grow up? Well, Hetty was born in Vienna, Austria, Hungary, and she was born as Hedwig Kiesler in 1914. She was an only child to two Jewish parents, and her father was a successful bank director. She was discovered as an early teen by theater producer Max Reinhardt. She was trained for stage in Berlin and returned to work in film in Vienna. So still as a teenager, she starred in various films, including a notorious and racy film that captured the attention of Frederick Mondel. Frederick was rich and powerful Austrian military arms merchant and munitions manufacturer. They were married the same year of her breakout role in 1933. Chances are they were married because it would take the heat off her scandal with a breakout film. He was rich, his father was Jewish, and it was a good match on paper. He also tried to buy and destroy all copies of the film, but they were—they just kept popping up, and eventually he made a deal with the studio not to produce a new copy. However, he treated her like a little doll. She was forced to leave film and look pretty and at parties, and these parties included Adolf Hitler and Mussolini in attendance. And at some of these business meetings, she would listen in and then talk about military technology with with the men. 
perhaps where her interest in science bloomed? And it's a possibility. Um, But before her science uh, interest could bloom, and before she got into inventing, she actually needed to flee her controlling and Nazi-sympathizing husband. Now, there are various stories on how she escaped, and some of them are far more scandalous than others. But it might have been as simple as walking out the front door. In 1937, she made her way to London, where through an agent, Bob Ritchie, she got a meeting with Louis B. Mayer, and he was scouting for new talent in Europe. Now, last week's episode, I went on a rant about Louis B. Mayer, uh, so I'm going to make every attempt not to do so again. However, if you want to learn more about my thoughts on Louis B. Mayer and how powerful he was, listen to the uh, Alice episode. (laughs) Yeah, it'll truly blow your mind, honestly. There's a lot about Louis B. Mayer that I've studied and disagreed with. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it is important to know in the context of talking about Hetty's story, though, that uh, Louis B. Mayer, he loved glamour, which she had, but he hated scandal, which she also had. He signed her on a very short-term contract with the conditions that she changed her name, she learned English better, and her look would be overhauled and screen-tested. She quickly became uh, one of the products of the golden age of Hollywood, and she was created as a star, and she was branded by Mayer as the most beautiful woman. So her first film, uh, Hollywood film anyway, was Algiers, where she had a very small but very crucial role, and she was definitely a breakout. People were talking about her. She was in 26 more films, including Boomtown with Spencer Tracy and Clark Gable, and White Cargo with with Walter Pidgeon, and she made her final film in 1958. One famous quote by Hedy Lamarr is, Any girl can be glamorous. All you have to do is stand still and look stupid. Um, Which she I do was love. Known, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fantastic and pretty accurate. <laughs> I know. It's sad, but true. <laughs> right? <laughs> it just, mm-hmm. Some things don't change, apparently. Especially when yeah. you're that pretty. <laughs> right? <laughs> Mm hmm. It feels like the prettier your face is, male or female, the more Mm -hmm. stupid you need to look. (laughs) Right. It is. And then the more stupid people think you actually are as well. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. So she was known as the most beautiful woman in the world, except that she was much more than just mere beauty. I mean, I can feel her frustration now. I mean, Mm -hmm. I would not enjoy just being known for what is on the outside here. Yeah, just being a face, basically. Yeah, exactly. And as was said earlier, Hetty's first husband talked very often about military plans over dinner. So she knew quite a bit about the war going on around her. So at this dinner party in Hollywood, she met a composer named George Antill. He was a renowned composer, and it seems that their conversation went probably from Hollywood to composing to... You know, it just progressed, and somehow it got to the war, and it got to, well, Hetty has an idea, and it was for a torpedo guidance system. And I guess it'll make sense a little later why an intelligent and beautiful actress like Hetty Lamar worked and created this actually working patent with a composer. I mean... That's kind of a weird mix, but it'll make sense a little later. It totally makes sense. Wait for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wait for it. Wait for it. All right. Exactly. (laughs) So on NPR, I read that as she was inventing, Lamar was simultaneously glued to the events of World War II. 
And when German submarines began targeting passenger cruise liners, she felt compelled to invent something to help the cause. So she zeroed in on torpedoes, which were the powerful weapons, but very hard to to control. And she thought that if they could be radio-guided, there was a better chance that they would hit their target. But radio is very hackable, and she understood that the problem with radio signals was that they could be jammed. But if you can make the signal hop around more or less randomly from radio frequency to radio frequency, then the person at the other end trying to jam the signal won't know where it is. If they jam one particular frequency, it might hit that frequency on one of its hops, but it would only be there for a fraction of a second, then it would lose it again. There would be no way to jam it because it would just be a split second. Right, exactly. They couldn't hone in on it and stop it. Right, right. And when they they patented in 1942, the invention was actually called a secret communication system. And so now reading directly from the patent itself, it says this invention relates broadly to secret communication systems involving the use of carrier waves in a remote control of a dirigible craft such as torpedoes. The object of the invention is to provide a method of secret communication which is relatively simple and reliable in operation, but at the same time is difficult to discover or decipher. So Phoebe, how does it all work? You dug into this and I love that you dug into this. Tell me what you found. Well, when I dug in this, dug into this because when I heard that this invention first led to Wi-Fi, I couldn't really believe it. I'm kind of a skeptic deep down and I realized that people jump to conclusions and sometimes stretch the truth a little bit just right. to make things sound cool, you know. Exactly. But in this case, I really wanted to know if it was true, and um, so I consulted with my grandfather, who was in the National Guard from 1965 to 71, and he had worked on radios, and he's just all around a mechanical guy. Perfect. Yeah, and so he took a look at the patent for me, and he took the time to sit down and explain how everything works to the best of his knowledge. And I don't pretend to understand every little detail about this, but I did learn a lot from him, so this is what I learned. So the secret communication system was originally built during World War II. The purpose was to guide torpedoes without the enemy getting a hold of your signal to the torpedo and be able to know where it's heading. So it does work like a radio signal, like we said, but a radio signal can be easily detected and listened in on. But Hedy Lamar and George Anthill knew that a simple radio signal was not enough to communicate because radios can easily be found by other people. So they invented this. It uses what is called a spread-spectrum technology, and the idea is that it sends a signal that is broken up and unable to be detected by others. So the definition of spread-spectrum technology is it's a form of wireless communications in which the frequency of the transmitted signal is deliberately varied. So this results in a much greater bandwidth than the signal would have if its frequency were not varied. So this device has two ends. One is with the people communicating to the torpedo, and that end is called the transmitter. The other end is inside the torpedo, called the receiver. Each end of the device has a rolling piano roll in it. Yeah, that's right, a rolling piano roll. Ah, the composer again. Right? So that jumbles the signal in an unpredictable way because it's one note, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. Like, it goes back and forth and jumps note to note, and thus creating the spread spectrum. So simply mixing the signal wouldn't help because it would still have to be repetitive to work. 
So the sine wave that goes up and down is constant. The inventors devised a way to space the frequency output so that the only the receiver would recognize it instead of outsiders. So by using a rolling piano paper, the signal is dispersed in a continuously random pattern, but it cannot be unscrambled except for the specific receiver with the same exact pattern on the rolling piano paper. To make it all work, there's this... Uh, there's some kind of mechanism inside of the transmitter to make sure that both songs or both rolls of paper, or both songs rather, in the transmitter and the receiver are playing at the same time so that they can communicate. But because if they were not, they would not be able to communicate with each other. They do this because it allows for people to tell the torpedo directions, where to go, like give it corrections, follow the ships if the ship is, uh, if the enemy ship changes direction you can tell the torpedo to go left or right and then the enemy won't know that you're doing that or they won't be able to jam that signal and uh, they won't be able to know where it's going i love the fact that it's based on or at least inspired by the player piano as a template i think that's absolutely fascinating um not many people actually remember how these things worked but maybe because of a popular tv show that's on break right now called westworld um uh, maybe it'll give people a reason to at least be mindful about the player piano or more familiar with them than they were probably a few months ago but right. i love player pianos i mean they're they're spools of paper that are lined in a machine and the machine has 88 holes for 88 notes and and so when the paper spool holes line up through the holes in the machine, it's then connected through an air hose that pushes air through the hole in the paper, through the hole in the machine, through a tube, and then plays that hammer onto the actual piano. So the machine, the gears, the, uh, the air, the automation... It's all just fascinating. My Actually, my favorite uh, video of a player organ is playing with the paper rolls Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. It's absolutely amazing. That's awesome. And that's so cool. Because <laughs> each one of the holes right. relates to a different note and to a different instrument, too, because it's a player organ. Right. And to have that be with torpedoes and guidance and um, frequency hopping from note to note, from spool to spool, fascinating. Absolutely. That's just so cool how those two things can be tied together and how they can all work together. And the fact that it's all mechanical and yet electrical and it's just all very fascinating to me. Absolutely. And this is before digital technology right. as well. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The invention itself was it was ahead of its time to be sure. And it was created, this patent was created in 1941, but nobody wanted to use it. They looked at the piano, they looked at the uh, patent. And was like, huh, you want to put a piano inside a torpedo and inside of... I, I was know. like, no, you, you they clearly didn't, didn't get read it. it. You didn't read it. <laughs> you don't know what exactly. you're talking about. It goes into great like detail. That. Yeah. I was like, oh, come on. Like, it, this could have worked. To my knowledge, did you see they, they didn't actually use this particular patent, but they um, made things in the future that were, like, similar to it, but they didn't actually create this because it wasn't patented... I mean, it wasn't used in 1941. It was just patented. Right. It was patented. It was sent or it was signed over to the military right. to use however they wanted to. 
but they really didn't look at it until everything became more digitized. Right. Um, an easier, more electronic than mechanical. Right. Um, and then it looks like they actually kind of took another look at it, especially like around, well, at least we, we know that they did start using it around 1962. You had found that out. Right. It wasn't used until 1962 when the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, occurred and when they could create the frequency hopping more electronically. So by that time, though, their patent had become expired and they didn't receive any money or really any recognition at that point for this invention. Yeah. It's such a shame, though, because it really was a foundation for Wi-Fi and for wireless communication that we have today. Later down the road, Hetty did, however, eventually get recognition for it. In 1997, Hetty and George received an Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation Pioneer Award, and that's... And it's called the Bulby Nass Spirits of Achievement Bronze Award. But, okay, all these fancy words to say, it's basically the Oscars for the invention world, all right? Exactly. And (laughs) Heidi didn't get an Oscar, so this is pretty nice. (laughs) Right, yeah. I mean, this is a nice, you know, instead of type thing. Mm -hmm. So this award was given to individuals who create lifetime achievements in the art, sciences, business, and invention fields and have contributed to society. Which she totally did. So I'm really... Totally did. Yeah, yeah, totally. So in 2014, Lamar and Antil, they were both inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame as well, which is pretty awesome. Absolutely. And well-deserved. But to think back that the military, when they had this patent, when it was signed over to them... The fact that they could only imagine that player piano strapped to a torpedo. Oh, my gosh. I, I really debate either they didn't understand it or they didn't believe the messenger. Right. Um, and that was one thing that I was curious about is kind of like how much crap did she get from either film people or military people? I mean, she's a beautiful Hollywood star right. and an inventor. No way. That can't happen oh, at the no. same time. <laughs> So Hetty and George, they, they signed over that patent, and they really hoped that the U.S. would use it with the war effort. But instead, what they told Hetty to do, her time would be better spent selling war bonds and raising money for the war instead of the silly inventing. And she did. I mean, she did her part. She really did want to help the yeah. war effort. And she, I think she had a great idea that could have done it. Totally. <laughs> but she went on tour. And she sold kisses for war bonds, and she raised a lot of money for the war using her celebrity, using her beauty. I think most of Hollywood, uh, as far as that I could find, really didn't seem to know about Hetty's patent. Right. I fear that she thought she would be... Well, I fear that because Hetty was turned away from the military, you know what I mean? Saying, right. oh, yeah, no, it's just to play her piano, you know, go sell some war bonds. I don't think she talked much about it to her film friends. Probably not, yeah. So I, I really think that her beauty was kind of a double-edged sword, that she was so right. pretty that people, they couldn't see her as being smart, uh, let alone an inventor or an uh, engineer of any kind, because that didn't fit the stereotype. It didn't fit, right. you know, the branding of a Hollywood star. I mean, even researching her stories today, where I would say we know better. We know that people can be multiple things and have multiple passions. But the headlines that I still see are beauty and the brains or a bombshell with a brain. It's so rare that these two things can exist together. 
I mean, I, I don't think so. Right. No. <laughs> I think I people think can so. be beautiful and smart. <laughs> right. Beautiful on the inside and the out. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, I do see it with even some, like, I, you know, uh, you know, growing up, Brad Pitt hit. Mm-hmm. And Brad Pitt was so pretty. And right. his first role that broke out, Thelma and Louise, he played a very stupid right. <laughs> guy in it. Yeah. And his parts kind of from there on were the stupid pretty one. Right. Uh, or the naive stupid one. Right. It took us forever to be able to even respect Brad Pitt in a way <laughs> of having a brain. Although sometimes I guess we still doubt it. But it's not fair. I mean, beauty, male or female, I think we still judge too harshly on that, it. Absolutely. That pretty people can't be smart. Right. And it's like, that's not true. That's absolutely that's not, not true. true. So how did her invention lead to Wi-Fi? And do you think she knew that it would? So her patent led to Wi-Fi in this kind of roundabout way at least in my own mind um because i look at it and i don't automatically think wi-fi but my grandfather explained it to me in this way that this secret communication system it was actually the first device that we could send send a private message with without worrying about it being interrupted ah very true it's the precursor to wi-fi because it was private in nature it was designed to be private, and it was used with the signal in a way that cannot be logged onto or intercepted in the way it was transmitted. Today, the system is very similar to a Wi-Fi router because the system did not use landline wires, but was all done from wireless communications, i.e. antennas. Wi-Fi is transmitted electronically from a transmitter to a receiver, mm-hmm. and you can give it commands, just like the secret communication system. So in today's world, the transmitter is the router, and the receiver is your computer or your phone. This system was originally designed to run munitions, such as torpedoes, and be able to remotely having that system command and so on. But you have to remember, this was before computers. So we're comparing a mechanical device with a very high-tech computer. And Wi-Fi today has a lot of help from other computers, and it's incredibly advanced electronically as opposed to mechanically. Mm-hmm. My grandfather said that my amazement is that it could even be done. The synchronized piano paper is what makes this private and non-impregnable from it being hacked, so to speak. Yeah. Before this system was devised, it could be hacked. But with the piano paper, it cannot. Now, a computer can lock on to that scrambled signal and many other scrambled signals, and it just works because it's electronic and it's advanced and everything. Yeah. But back then, they had to engineer a mechanical actual device that does the same thing. So, in other words, the secret communication system used a transmitter, similar to the router, that sent a signal to the device similar to computer, that can only be received by that device because of a record strip or the piano paper that is employed on the receiving device. So this system is one conversation happening between two devices, and Wi-Fi is multiple conversations happening between multiple devices, both totally private unless you're given the key. Or the piano paper, or the Wi-Fi password, or whatever. Do you think she knew it would lead into Wi-Fi? It's hard to tell. I think she was a very intelligent woman. She knew that this invention was far greater than herself. That's why she gave it to the military. That's why she invented it, was to be something far bigger than herself. But I also get the feeling that since the patent was never looked at, at least 
when in the time period she intended mm-hmm. that maybe someday she gave up and she thought that nobody would do anything with it. And I mean, if it was me, I wouldn't know that this mechanical device could lead to something so advanced and so technological that I, I'm sure that your brain could hardly, my brain can hardly wrap around the stuff that we can do technically and with our computers. It's hard to imagine that she could see that. But um, it makes me wonder what she thought in the 90s when the electronics and internet and everything was all booming. It makes me wonder if she saw the comparisons between her device and, and Wi-Fi. So it also makes me wonder, like, where would we be without inventors like Hedy Lamar? Would we really be this far today if people gave up and didn't do anything for the sake of doing a good thing anymore? Because that's what she did. She just, she felt passionately, passionately about it. She went for it. She did it. It failed, so to speak, right for a time, but it lived on beyond herself. I think that's something to admire. Yeah, she saw a problem. She wanted to try to solve it. She solved it with the, the, the tools that she had at the ready, with the resources that she do. And I also, I, it always makes me wonder, too, if uh, the military understood it uh, or saw its practicality uh, early on, would she kept moving forward with it. Would we have more uses of this? Would we have Wi-Fi sooner? Right. If she would have kept, you know, oh, we can use it for this. We can use it for this. Or, oh, this is a problem you're trying to solve. You know, I put these two things together. What about putting, you know, this and this together? Right. It's one of those things where if it was encouraged, there's so much more that it could have been uh, done with it earlier, but at least it got done with it. Right. (laughs) At least the technology existed. The patent was out there. And also that's the importance of patenting things. Right. Because then it's public information. People can improve upon it, learn about it and utilize it to a new extent. Right. Which is what happens. Now, Hedy's actually other inventions that she had, they never really took off, though. Um, But she did have other inventions, like improving on traffic lights. Uh, She also produced a tablet that created a carbonated drink, kind of like Elka-Seltzer, but more like Mm Coca-Cola. And at times, it feels like before the 1990s, everything that was reported about Hedy was a scandal. Uh, Most of the headlines that she got and the attention that she got was who is she in love with now? And who is she in a feud with? And that type of thing. And not always was any of this actually true. Uh, What was true was Hedy Lamarr always sold magazines. So this is kind of her non-inventing early life uh, and life story. So two years after fleeing her first husband, she married George Markey. She was 24 and he was 44. A few months later, they adopted a child who turns out to be Hedy's own son, but with John Loder, who Hetty would then marry four years later and have two more children with. Now, her marriage to Loder would last four years. She was married to a Teddy Stauffer uh, for a year. Uh, he was from Switzerland, and he was popular uh, in Germany. He was known as the Swing Kin in the 30s. Then she married W. Howard Lee, who is a Texas oil tycoon. Now, that marriage would actually last seven years, which would be her longest marriage. But when that marriage ended, she married her divorce divorce lawyer, (laughs) Louis Bowles. And by 1965, she had been divorced six times, and she remained single for the rest of her life. That is a lot to go through. It is, yeah. It's a half dozen. (laughs) 
half yeah, dozen men. That, that's a lot. That, that's a lot. <laughs> and a lot of them I see are either celebrity or powerful. Right. Uh, or financially, you know, comfortable right. sort of thing. Plus, they all probably thought she was absolutely beautiful as well. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah. But in her later years, in her single years, uh, she spent a lot of time suing people. <laughs> in 1966, there was a book that appeared, uh, and it appeared to be an autobiography. It was called Ecstasy and Me, and it was released. Now, Hetty sued the publisher, insisting that the ghostwriter... Uh, was fabricating the stories and that they were untrue. In 1974, she sued Warner Brothers, now specifically Mel Brooks, <laughs> for the use of the character Headley Lamar in Blazing Saddles. Uh, Mel Brooks actually said she never got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> this just cracks me up because she was like, oh, I've, I've, got, I've got time to think about, oh, I'm going to sue this person today. Like, I don't know. For some mm-hmm. reason, it just cracks me up. It's like, oh, my gosh. And it's the last one that really, it just makes me seem like she was Sue Happy a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because in 1997, she tried to sue uh, Coral Draw because they released boxes that had an image of her on it. Now, the image was actually a contest winner. Uh, and they used the Coral software to draw a picture of her. And Coral insisted that she had no rights to the image. And they settled out of court as well. Oh my gosh. It seemed like any Anything that was her name or her likeness, she just automatically uh, sue happy with it, which was just very weird. But she also had a lot of plastic surgery. Um, That was a lot of the research that I found um, uh, in later years. And her plastic surgery was tried to revive her looks and try to bring back her career. Uh, But apparently it backfired. And she spent many of the last years of her life as a recluse in Florida. Uh, She was finally recognized for the invention of Wi-Fi, CDMA, and Bluetooth. And she graced covers of technology magazines using old Hollywood photos, not current photos. Um, And she was given those awards that you talked about. But she didn't show up to accept any of them. Uh, She died in the year 2000 at the age of 86. I just think that's so sad. Like we said earlier, it's not just about your beauty. It's... Like, when you have a mind, you have a soul, you have a spirit, you know, when you focus so much about your outer beauty and your likeness, you get so fixated. And then it can backfire on you badly because humans are imperfect. We project the idea of perfection, but we're not perfect and Mm -hmm. we're not going to, even if we appear perfect now, we're not going to remain perfect So I just think that that's so sad. And the ironic thing is she was being finally recognized for her brains. Right. And they wanted her to come and accept these awards for her brains. And what held her back was she didn't feel beautiful enough. Right. That her image was not the same. And it was one of those things where it's like, oh, man, it's it's probably finally what you wanted. Right. But yet you feel like you won't be accepted if you're not as pretty as you were in the 30s and 40s. Right. You know, um, you know, none of us are as pretty as we were in our 20s. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we are in our 20s once. That is as good as it gets. <laughs> it is a general slow developing change generally towards worse <laughs> as we get older. But we're all human and that's just how it goes. That's how it goes. That you know, nature's fair. Right. It is. Gravity it works. Is. <laughs> Gravity works. <laughs> oh man. I think I think that 
us hyper-accentuating beauty does a lot of damage more than we understand that it does. It takes us out of society sometimes, in Hetty's case at least. Yeah. I'd like to believe that she wanted people to remember her by her mind, but she also knew how powerful her looks were. And maybe at one point her inventions were what she wanted to be remembered by, but she kind of gave up trying. And I am honestly... I don't know what to think about that. I feel sad and I feel yeah. I feel like I want to almost like I wish I could go tell her it's okay. You did something amazing. Don't give up. Yeah. yeah like don't give up. I, I think that's something we could we could learn. You shouldn't give up. I mean, I don't think that she's I don't want to say it in such a way to make make it sound like I think she failed because she gave up. That's not what I'm saying. It's a woulda, shoulda, coulda. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. She succeeded. And then didn't accept it when she got the recognition or she didn't it's a tragedy it's almost like a a greek tragedy you know yeah uh so close to you know um literally a prize right right (laughs) and and having her own vanity a vanity that you know the hollywood system helped create right (laughs) the culture itself is um you know to a certain extent to be blamed for it as well right i think it's a it's a tragedy that we can learn from totally um that all inventors can learn from that beauty and brains are not uh two separate things that they can be mutually exclusive and benefit benefit both right and we should listen to smart people who are pretty and we should listen to smart people who are ugly (laughs) totally (laughs) and we should not judge them for their face we should judge them for the content of their design and their innovation absolutely (laughs) the more you know the more you know (laughs) i do fear that the the legacy that hetty wanted to be remembered for was her film work It looks like she focused so hard in the latter part of her life to keep her film work alive. You know, wasn't I a beautiful star? Mm. Wasn't I extraordinary? I think she was too hurt and too pushed aside for her inventing side of her personality. And she just eventually figured no one would take it seriously. And I'm totally guessing. Right. Um, I'm trying to read between the lines with interviews that I've seen and with things that I believe she wrote because there's so many things that I don't even know if she wrote them or not at this point uh, because I, I feel like if she didn't write it, she would have sued it. Right, right. <laughs> so so there's that. So it's very hard to know. But I think she did regulate her invention to a hobby and just did it when she was bored and mm-hmm. did it for an escape. And sometimes when we just do something as um, as a hobby, we don't take it that seriously. And also we don't always put it out into the world where it can be a public benefit. Right. Actually, what do you think we can learn from Hetty? So Hetty left behind this incredible technology that was far beyond its time and it far exceeded her time. And it's going to probably continue beyond our time, too. And we're all given gifts and talents, and sometimes it's hard to pursue them because other people shoot us down or we're, we're known as someone else or as being something else. But I think in the end, our true nature really comes out and our talents shine through. I mean, Hetty was a fabulous actress, yes, but mm-hmm. her invention left an immeasurably deeper impact on the world as we know it than we could even imagine and than she could probably even imagine. I think that we can learn from her that despite what is expected of us, 
If we feel something in our hearts to pursue, we should move forward with it with all of our might, even if we're fighting for it alone. We are all given a passion for a reason, you know? And if you pursue that and you're passionate about it and you you actually work for it, that's that's on you, you know? That's on you to push forward on it. Nobody else is going to because they don't feel that. They're going to feel something else, you right. know? So it's on you to... to move forward on on what's passionate for you and who knows you could change the world too and even if you don't know it even if you put something out there and it seemingly is ignored you could put something out there and change the world you literally could do that absolutely problem solving is amazing looking at things uniquely like hetty did is what we need more of, of, you know, what tools in your arsenal, what resources do you have at your disposal that can make the world a better place in an area that you're passionate about? And you do, you have to be the champion of your own story. Right. You know, the U.S. military didn't understand what Hetty was talking about, but in this day and age, there are less gatekeepers. There can be more inventors now. Absolutely. And so we need more of them. There's this wonderful thing called crowdfunding. <laughs> you don't Absolutely. have to have a U.S. military grant anymore uh, right. to to explore an innovation, to make something uh, better. What I learned from Hetty is true beauty is when two worlds come together uh, to solve a problem. I've actually been meditating on this phrase for a few weeks now. I, I heard it in a museum, and it's the union of opposites. And I just love that term. Think of it as a a Hollywood star and an inventor. Those are two seemingly opposites. Uh, Radio frequencies and player piano rolls being another set of seemingly opposites. I mean, torpedoes and cell phones, you know, another Mm -hmm. set of opposites. So Hetty taught me to not see the world in terms of opposites, but to see it in terms of interconnections. And I don't care that Hetty was beautiful. In fact, I hate Mm -hmm. to say it, but maybe if she was less exotic... (laughs) We would have taken her more seriously. Or maybe uh, she wouldn't have been ignored altogether. I wish her intellectual mind and her engineering passion was more encouraged. And who knows what else she could have invented. Absolutely. Do you have anything else you wanted to add about your your research and study into Hedy Lamar? I just think it's so cool that she pursued her, her once in technology and, and just inventing and doing cool things beyond herself i think i think that's just really cool well that wraps it up for us thanks for listening to your gal friday you can find out more about hetty lamar and the upcoming gals that we'll be covering at galsguide.org please subscribe leave us a comment and share thanks for listening for more information about this week's gal or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. We've got great perks like behind the scenes, early access, and private live streams. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday.